and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's easy to say you care about some issue when it costs you nothing, no matter which side you support. True compassion demands action. Lead teacher Jeff Norris brings us this sermon entitled Hand-Eye Coordination, which covers Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. O God, who gives generously to those who ask, we ask that you would give us understanding, that we may keep your word, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and instead give us life in your ways. Confirm to us your promise in Christ that we may love and worship you in spirit and in truth, amen and amen. Well, for some of you, if you've been in or around church for some time, you may have just heard the reading of God's word and thought, oh, here we are again, yet another sermon on the Good Samaritan. I've known, known this for a long time, and if you've been at Perimeter, uh, you may be thinking, Jeff, haven't you preached on this one or two or maybe three times already over the last several years? And I would say yes, and here's why. I, I think it's important, I think it's one of the key texts that we keep coming back to, as not just as Perimeter people, but as Jesus people. Because I think that there are things, there are truths, there are threads in this text that are so very critical for us that we really struggle to not only grasp, but really more so live out. 
So I think it's important for us to, to sit in it yet again. And so if your temptation is to check out because you're so familiar with it, I would encourage you not to do that. But to say, okay, God, even though I am familiar with it, what would you have for me this time in this text? One of the, one of the threads of this parable, of this story that Jesus tells to this lawyer is seeing. You might have caught it how many times he says, and he saw him, and he saw him, and he saw him. It happens repeatedly in the text. And it occurs to me that there is something that Jesus is trying to get us to see that we're not seeing. It's a spiritual metaphor that is used commonly in scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, the prophet says that we are a people, that God's people are a people who are ever seeing but not perceiving. And that's certainly true of non-believers that they haven't seen yet, as, as 2 Corinthians 4 says, that the veil that covers the eyes has not been lifted to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, to believe upon him as the one true savior. But even once we become Christians, we can struggle to see what we need to see spiritually. And it reminds me of these po posters that were so popular in the 90s uh, that uh, were called magic eye posters. I think we have one of those that we can put up here. And for me, I've never been able to see these. How many of you remember these? Yeah. How many of you can see what you need to see in them? Yeah, so like maybe a third of the hands that went up who've seen them. I can't see them. I, I can stare at this all day long and I can't figure out what it is. I've been told that you just stare at it, you let your eyes blur, and then eventually the image will come out, and it, it doesn't for me. I don't know what's wrong with my eyes. But it's like this 3D image, usually of an animal or something like that. And, and when, I, when I've been with people who can see it, 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 there's an aha moment. There's a, ah, oh, I was seeing this, but now I see it. It's not unlike when you've been at perhaps a sporting event or some type of event where halftime entertainment or at some point on the stage, someone comes out and with music, they're painting something and it looks like a jumbled mess and uh, you're going, what in the world is this supposed to be? And as the music uh, gradually gets louder and builds to a crescendo, uh, at the end of the, of the deal, he, he or she flips it around and once it's upright, you, oh, oh, I see now what, what it was. And I think that those are fitting metaphors for how often God is showing us something. He's showing us something in the text. He's showing us something in our lives. He's showing us something, listen, don't miss this, about the way of the kingdom of God. And we say, yeah, I see that. And he goes, no, 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 but do you see? Do you perceive We, we often see, but we don't see. And the reason we don't see is because we don't see with the heart of God. The wellspring of our sight far too often is our own hearts, the heart of the flesh. But when the wellspring of our sight is the heart of God, the canvas flips around. The 3D image of the kingdom of God and the way of the kingdom of God is suddenly seen and we go, Oh, okay. And where we need to go this morning and where this parable takes us is it takes us to this truth that seeing with eyes 
of compassion fuels hands of action. Seeing with eyes of godly compassion fuels hands of godly action. This is what Jesus taught us in this parable. It starts with the lawyer, this one who comes to him. As the story begins, says that a lawyer stood up and very, very uh, blatantly off the top of the story here, it, we see his motive. Was it true curiosity? Doesn't appear so, it was to put him to the test. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test and this is what he said. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus does something really interesting here. He does what he often does in interactions. He answers a question with a question. What does the law say? What's written in it? So he puts it back on the lawyer. The lawyer is probably a scribe, a Jewish scribe, which means he's an expert in the law, obviously, says a lawyer came to him. But he knows the word. He knows the word of God. He probably has the first five books of the Old Testament, although this seems wildly crazy to us, but probably has them memorized. And so he knows. He knows what the law says. He knows what's written in it. And he responds correctly. He says, summarizing what he says here in, in Luke 10, uh, he's summarizing it in, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where the summation of the law is said this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We call this the great commandment. Jesus summarized it the very same way in Matthew, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 22. You want to whittle it down just a little bit more, we would just simply summarize the entire law of God with love God and love neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself, which is critical. That's a, that's a critical way to say it because what's true of us? Well, left unto ourselves, we're overtly and unapologetically selfish people. We are a people who always look out for number one. We were a people who always care for self most. But the way of the kingdom of God is to say in the same way that you would see your needs first and foremost and meet them, let's flip that and actually put others' needs before our own. That we would serve our neighbor as we would ourselves. So he answers correctly. Jesus' response is interesting yet again. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Isn't that interesting that Jesus replied that way? Do this and you will live. What's Jesus saying there? Is he giving this man a works-based salvation? Is he saying to this lawyer, hey, if you do that well enough, you'll get, you'll earn eternal life. We know from the context of the rest of scripture and the rest of Jesus' teaching, that's not at all what he's doing. He's actually doing something that we need all to have done to us, which is he's putting upon this man the weight of the law. He's saying, you know the law, let it crush you. Let the weight of the law show you that you can't do it. 
Let, let that summation of law, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, let it be uh, the weight of which and the window through which you look to see there is no way I could ever do this perfectly. But if you could, if some way, somehow you could live out the law of God perfectly, then you'll live eternally. But you can't. Now, it's at this point that we would hope that the lawyer would respond recognizing that. That he would say, well, that's impossible. There's no way that I could ever love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and mind. And, and I, there's no way I could love my neighbor as myself. It's just, just, just not possible. And so there must be another way, Jesus. There has to be mercy somewhere. There, there has to be grace. Is there not any other way, Jesus? And Jesus could have very easily here said, instead of putting the crushing weight of the law on him, he could have said, well, you know, you're, you're right. There's no way that you could ever perfectly live out the law of God. And so here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna do that for you. I'm gonna live the law of God perfectly in your place. I'm gonna do what you are incapable of doing in being perfect and sinless and perfectly obedient to the law. I will love the Lord our God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I will love neighbor as myself, and I'll do it for you. And then watch this, because I did it perfectly, I will then take my perfect record and my righteousness and swap it with you. And I'll take the penalty of your inability, your sin, your incapability to do, to do it perfectly, I'll, I'll take that. And the punishment of sin itself, which is death, I'll take upon myself and I'll give you my righteousness if you believe upon me. There's your mercy. There's your grace. And when you've believed upon me, you will receive my righteousness. And because you now have my record of righteousness and perfection, attributed to you as if it were your own, you will then have eternal life because when God looks at you now, he sees my perfect record through faith in the sacrifice, me, Jesus. He could have said that, and he does say that, and the scripture teaches us that. And we know that salvation is completely a work of God, not a work of man. We know that it's completely by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. We know that. But Jesus doesn't say that here. He lets the law weigh on this man. What's the problem though? <laughs> the problem is this scribe, this lawyer actually thinks that he might can do it. His response, and it tells us, Luke tells us in the text, seeking to justify himself. In other words, seeking to say, I, I think I can be right here. I think I can attain this righteousness. He asks a question back and it's not, well, could there be mercy? Could there be grace? Because I don't think I can live that out. It's, so who's my neighbor? Because depending on who my neighbor is, I think I might can do this. Which it's astounding, right? It's astonishing that he doesn't say anything about the first part. He actually thinks that he can love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's like, okay, I got that part. I got that. But just, just for clarification, 
Who would you say my neighbor is? And Jesus again could say, well, your neighbor's everyone. Your neighbor's anyone that you come across paths with. It's even the people you hate, it's even your enemies. He could have said that, but Jesus does something much better and more profound as he often does. He tells a story, tells a parable, and parables have one main point that we will see. And so here's the story, what's the setting? The setting of the story is that there's a man traveling on a road, and what's the road? It's the infamous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Infamous because it was a common place for thieves and robbers to hide out in the many crevices and uh, in the low-lying spots and in the caves and the twists and turns to pounce, to take people's money and belongings and leave them for dead. God's people and all the people of Jerusalem certainly knew about this, this road, 17 miles long, who are the characters in this story? Well, you have the unnamed man who's traveling, who has been robbed and who has been beaten and who has been left for dead on this road. But there's good news. There's good news. A priest is coming. And the priest, I mean, if you, if you want someone to pass by when you most need them, certainly it would be a priest. A priest is the most presumably the most godly of men. They are, the, they are the servants in the temple. They're the one who makes sacrifices. They're the closest to God. They're, they're the most religious people known. So a priest coming by has got to be good news, the listener of the story would think. But Jesus has a twist. He says, a priest sees him. He sees him. He's not distracted at reading a scroll or, or he sees him. He sees him and he passes and he passes by on the other side. Deliberate attempt to move to the farthest part of the roadway from the one in need. We don't know why Jesus doesn't tell us. Perhaps it was because he was concerned with what the Levitical law taught about cleanliness. Maybe he thought the man was dead and the law says that if you touch a dead man, the priest, if he had done so, would be unclean for two weeks. And he's perhaps on his way to the temple and thinking I have to go do my services. And if, I, if I'm unclean, I can't perform my duties. And so I can't touch him. We don't know. And there's no reason to speculate, but Jesus doesn't tell us what's probably more accurate to the point of the story is that the priest didn't wanna be bothered, didn't wanna be inconvenienced, had a place to be. And in either event, whether it was because of cleanliness or because of his schedule, his religiosity got in the way of compassion. His service to God didn't allow him to see like God. So he passes by, but there's more good news. 
if, if, not a, if not a priest who's gonna pass by, who on the order of ranking of religious people that would, that would want to see me in need, if it's not a priest, then, then second in command would be a Levite. Descendants of Levi, also servants in the temple. And he's gonna pass by and Jesus very quickly says the same thing. He saw him, he saw him and he too passed by. We don't know why. But here we have again a presumably godly man not seeing with the heart and the eyes of God. Then Jesus says something that as soon as it comes out of his mouth, his Jewish audience who would be listening here as he's speaking these words would have immediately gasped and said, don't you even dare. Don't you dare make make him the hero of this story because what Jesus says, but a Samaritan. If you're familiar with the context, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And if there were a word stronger than hate, we would use it. Completely despised each other, vitriolic. Who were the, who were the Samaritans according to the Jews? They were the, the disregarded, hated half-breeds half-breeds both ethnically and spiritually. For they had intermarried outside of the Jewish faith many years earlier when Israel fell to the Assyrians. And then as a part of their intermarrying and, and being ethnically unclean, they then adopted some of the religious beliefs of these um, non-God-fearing people. And so they married Judaism with all kinds of other belief systems that the Jews turned their nose up at and judgment, the Jews hated, hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated them in return. So when Jesus says, but, juxtaposing this Samaritan with a priest and a Levite, but a Samaritan, they're waiting with bated breath thinking, you're not gonna go there, are you? But he does. He says, a Samaritan, here it is again, saw him, just like the priest and the Levite. But this time, this Samaritan saw him and he had compassion on him. And his compassion led him to move towards him. He went to him and he poured out oil and wine upon his wounds, which was to help with the, uh, the bacteria antibiotic of sorts, to kill. He pours that out and then he places him on the animal. Doesn't tell us what kind of animal, but some animal that he was traveling with. He places him on the animal and he takes him the rest of the journey, wherever this may have led, to an inn. And he tells the innkeeper, he says, look, take care of him, here's money. And he pays for all the debts that his wounds would incur. And then he makes a promise to the innkeeper and to the half-dead man. He says, I'll come back to ensure your full healing. He saw him. And he saw a person made in the image of God. 
You see, the Samaritan saw a person while the priest and the Levites saw a problem, an inconvenience, as Paul Miller says. This seeing with eyes of compassion is what we see from Jesus throughout the Gospels. The most common characteristic ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels, listen, the most common characteristic ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels is that of compassion and mercy. Often the same Greek word that we'll translate either as compassion or mercy. An example of that would be Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, here it is again, seeing. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What we see, another sub-theme of the Bible is there's a lot of connection throughout Scripture between our metaphorical eyes and our hearts. Our spiritual eyes and our spiritual hearts, they're connected. There's so many times in scripture where those are united, that our hearts are the wellspring of how we see people, God, the world around us. Paul prays, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened to the glory, to the majesty, to the goodness of Jesus and his kingdom and his grace. There's a connection here, and it reminds me of uh, in sports, since we're talking sports already this morning, in sports, one of the most critical things to possess is eye-hand coordination. They go together. If you don't, if you don't have eye-hand coordination, eye coordination in most sports, you're going to struggle mightily. Now, it's not always true in some ways, right? But a lot of times, especially in sports like baseball, tennis, hockey, what am I missing? Basketball, most of them, okay, you get it. Soccer, hand-feet coordination, but you're following. It's critical. Now, here's the thing. As we get older, physically, we lose that ability. It, it begins to wane. I, listen, I, I've been experiencing this over the last few years. I've been playing the last uh, three years with a group of guys in the fall playing softball, okay? Now, look, I, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm 43 years old. I'm not that old, but it's the oldest I've ever been, and, and it's... <laughs> And I'm telling you, I have watched from the age of 40 to 43, I have watched my eye-hand coordination diminish significantly. I used to play baseball and I wasn't some great athlete who could run. I wasn't some great fielder, but I could hit. It was a whole reason I played the game. It was, it was something I could do. Guys, you would think a two mile an hour softball like this, that I, could, I can't hit it. I've lost the ability. I pop it up. I ground it. I miss it. <laughs> How embarrassing. I really do. You can ask the guys. It's so embarrassing. And I get so mad because I'm just, I'm just losing that ability I used to have. But, but what happens spiritually is actually the opposite. The longer we walk with Jesus, we actually develop stronger, and I'll add a piece to it, eye-heart-hand coordination. Because as our eyes are connected to the wellspring of our hearts, and as that is something that God consistently talks to us about, what does it lead to? It leads to hands of action, to tongues of mercy and of good news. Because remember, eyes of compassion fuel hands of action. Eyes of compassion fuel hands of action, or to say it in the negative. To say it in the negative would be to say it like this. Compassion without action is simply pity restrained by selfishness. Compassion without action is simply pity restrained by selfishness, where we just say, oh, I hate that for them, but we, do, we don't do anything. 
And, and, and oftentimes, and we look, individually, we can't do everything. We can't help everyone who needs to be helped. But the point of the church is that we can. Not just perimeter church, but the church holistically, as we get this, as we see with eyes of compassion, we move with hands of action. And we tell people about Jesus as we serve them and meet their needs. Just this, literally like, I think it was three days ago. Uh, I was driving and I came to a really big intersection. And as you'll often see at big intersections, there was someone there with a bucket and a sign. And it was a, what I think was probably a mother and a daughter. And on the sign, it said, you know, please give. And it, and it, it was a heartbreaking story about a relative that they were trying to raise money for who had been diagnosed with a certain type of cancer. Now, if you ever think that being a pastor means that you have it all together, I will completely dispel that right now. Because I looked at these women and my heart, I really did. I was like, man, I want to help them desperately. But two things kept me from doing so. One, I had somewhere to be. I don't know if you caught it in the text, but this Samaritan was not just hanging out. It said, but a Samaritan, here are the words, as he journeyed, he had somewhere to be too. But he stopped. But I had somewhere to be, but more embarrassingly, I was the lawyer in that moment, this lawyer. I sought to justify why I wouldn't help. Because in that moment, even though I genuinely, desperately wanted to help this mother and daughter, presumably, I began saying these questions. Well, how do I know that's what they're using it for? How can I ensure that the money I would give them would go to what they say it's gonna go to? And as I drove through the intersection, I lasted maybe a minute, two minutes, before the Holy Spirit just, just pounded me. He said, that's between me and them. If I call you to help and serve, you do it. And you don't justify your way out of it depending on an outcome you can't control. What was I asking? I was asking, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the lawyer seeking to justify himself. We can't bear this weight individually. If we begin to bear the weight thinking I have to help every single person I see, we won't get anything done because there's always a need. But we can bear the weight corporately. We can move together with hands of action fueled by hearts and eyes of compassion. We can fight every day to not just be people who pity, but people who move towards those in need. Jesus ends this story after telling the story to the lawyer. He ends it with a question, very simple but heart-piercing question. He says, which, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And this lawyer, if I had to guess, probably really angry 
still seething that the Samaritan was the hero, had no choice but to answer. He was, he was the one painted into the corner, not Jesus. And he had no choice, possibly with gritted teeth, to say, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says this, the command he gives him, go and do likewise. Jesus is still letting the law weigh on him because we will not repent of our sins and run to Jesus as the only hope unless we see the weight of our sins. And so he's still telling this lawyer, go do it. Eventually you'll realize you can't and that the only way you can is through me. The very one who changes hearts and through the wellspring of that heart gives you my eyes to see, eyes of compassion. Why, why should we go and do likewise? Well, because we're Jesus people. And who is Jesus? Listen, don't miss this. Who is Jesus? He's the true, great Samaritan. Not just the good Samaritan, but the great one. Why? Because he saw you and me dead in the pathway of our sins and he didn't pass on the other side as it were, but he came to us in compassion. And when he came to us with unthinkable compassion, he didn't pour out oil and wine on the wounds of our hearts, he poured out his own blood. He poured out his blood, cleansing us and having done so, he, the lamb of God, he doesn't just put us on an animal, he puts us on himself and he carries us to the cross. He carries us to the cross to say, these very wounds that have stricken you will now be on me. But if that weren't enough, he carries us through the cross and through the grave into the very presence of the Father, not to an innkeeper, but to the God of the universe. And not unlike the Samaritan who told that innkeeper, all the debts that he incurs, put it on my tab. Jesus says that to the Father. And then not, not unlike the Samaritan who told the innkeeper, and I'll come back to ensure their full healing. Jesus says the same. Jesus saw us with eyes of compassion and it led to hands of action. And what did those hands do? They spread wide on the cross so that you and I could be healed. And he says to us, go and do likewise, not die on a real cross, but die every day to self. Take up your cross, spread your hands, serve because you have the heart of God. Love because you have the heart of God. See with eyes of compassion because you have my heart and compassionate hearts fuel hands of action. And until I return, Jesus says, go and do likewise. You know, it won't be very long at all, could very well be today, that God will bring someone across your path that will inconvenience you, that will take you out of your routine and he'll ask you the question, do you see them? 
do you see them? Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes and hearts of compassion that fuel hands of action. Give us mouths of mercy that we may speak the good news of Jesus as we meet the needs of those around us. Forgive us, Lord, of how we are just so quick to justify ourselves, just like the lawyer. Change us, use us, do it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.